Welcome to Anarchists and Androids. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined by my co-host, Parenthesis I. Uh, hello, everyone. So we've got two. So last week we 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 looked at She-Hulk for the episode. We're going to go back and uh, look at the last two episodes of Andor and talk about some of what's happening in in those today. And those episodes are episode six, The Eye, and episode seven, Announcement. Is it announcement or the announcement? I can't. I can't remember. Oh, uh, just uh, announcement uh, because there's multiple announcements that happen in it. <laughs> Quite a few so, announcements. Yeah. So, so let's start with the eye. What the eye is is essentially the the heist that has been planned. Oh, I think it was the name of like the celestial event where like that yes. planet passes through it, and they use it as cover to like while everyone's like ooing and eyeing, they go and like rob them. Yes. So I I think it's interesting looking at this. I'm going to skip ahead uh, at some point in time towards the end. They, the, the, someone from the Empire utters these criminals responsible for last night's atrocity on Alhani, Alhani being the planet they're on. Um, I want to point out the use of the word criminals. These are the rebels who we're used to saying, oh, these are the rebels of, um, you know, our traditional Star Wars rebels. So themselves would probably not say, hey, we're just criminals, we're political insurgents. I think that's interesting, especially looking at real world situations. Right now, you've been paying attention to what's going on in Haiti. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a complete like social breakdown there. Yeah, they so they've taken they've taken uh, some of the people have taken uh, apparently a lot of gasoline by force. Uh, they've dug out trenches and uh, very similar to what's happened here in this episode in a lot of ways. And the way that they're being presented in the media is as gangs. So a lot of times what when a state is able to do something, they're able to legally reframe it as, you know, liberation or freedom fighting or whatnot in the name of whatever, whoever owns said property. But when those who are going up against and fighting up against it takes the takes it, they're suddenly in, like in this case, they're criminals. I mean, if it was a bunch of let's say it was a bunch of MAGA folks here in the United States that took a bunch of gasoline from o, some kind of OPEC uh, BP or someone like that, they would call themselves patriots. And of course, you know, the media would probably say something else because they took the property of some large corporation. And if it was a bunch of like anti-fascists who took the gasoline, I'm sure that they would call them, oh, what would they call them, terrorists or thugs? So the, the, the language we use to refer to the other side in their action and who's doing the action, because it's nicely paralleled at the time when they say these criminals and stuff like that, we're seeing Mon Mothma giving a speech, essentially pointing out that in the Congress, we'll say, she's pointing out that the Empire's kind of doing the same thing to these, what she called people who were, where's that at? Uh, advocating on she was advocating on behalf of a, a peaceful and faithful ally who they were essentially railroading in that manner so i think it's interesting the way that we describe the side that we're in conflict with and that's worth pointing out i think in this episode so <laughs> kind of a quick rant there yeah and like one i've heard some people <clears throat> describe it as the difference between like a gang of so-called criminals and uh a government or a state is whether or not it has perceived social legitimacy in somebody's eyes 
or society's eyes. Yeah, I mean, and, and that that legitimacy is often just found in initially, you know, revolutions and for, things like that through the you know, use of force initially. You know, we, we take it back to 1776, <laughs> the, mm. the firearms used there to establish it, the use of force every day on the streets from police and uh, globally from uh, from military units. You know, it's, it's that use of force that establishes it. And it's that fight back, that struggle there where you gain that legitimacy. A lot of times these political conflicts one day the the gang or the criminal is is a gang or criminal and then after they've come to whatever resolution they are now the police force of the given area so <laughs> oh and to go back to that one scene you just mentioned with mon mothan giving the speech i think that was the one where she was giving the speech and like most of the senate chambers was empty yeah and they were they mm. were a little more interested in in the the criminals who and the and the the large sum of money is a 80 80 uh 80 million credits they were saying that was taken at that point yeah but uh like one way you can look at like the low number of people that are there compared to like this prequel trilogy when it was packed with different kind of aliens is that <clears throat> the uh the emperor has so much power and has gained so much more power that the senate has like you know as a result decreased power and people are just not even interested in even showing up for these meetings because they're like oh it's what's the point that it's just like a puppet kind of show so to speak and the real powers with this uh, emperor palpatine yeah yeah <laughs> the beginning of episode six it starts off with you know a, a, a few discussions i thought were interesting you had karis who was the young revolutionary idea idealist He's not able to sleep. He's talking about weapons being tools and then how the Empire has no moral boundaries. And Andor says the Empire doesn't play by the rules. I'm going to give a little pushback there. The Empire, the state, is the one who makes the rules. <laughs> so yeah. playing by the rules isn't really an issue when you make up the rules. <laughs> Yeah, and also, like, they show, like, the empire, or at least that little outpost for the empire, uh, they're manipulating the local indigenous population and their religious yes. rituals around the, uh, the mountain. I guess they want that mountain all for themselves, but it's also considered, like, a sacred mountain for the indigenous population. But as because of, like, giving a more, like, what they said, like, bars, <laughs> yes. basically, and stuff that for, like, the pilgrims to go relax at and stuff. And over time, they kind of manipulate the population away from going to the annual ritual to go to the mountain. And so so the leader, I don't know if he was a captain, a general, or what, but his uh, J-Hold, who was his name, and he says about them uh, that the Donnies, who are the indigenous people, he, we offer them alternatives. They get so wrapped up in choosing that they fail to notice you've given them nothing they thought they wanted at the start. Uh, he, he goes on to say that uh, the units, or the, the groups, the pilgrims, uh, began at 500 pilgrims and has dwindled down to 60 because they put comfort units along the journey, uh, I guess bars or whatnot, a uh, lot, not long ago, there were fifteen thousand. So the way they've dealt with them was uh, was this uh, almost consumer model of distracting them with with drink and pleasure type things, trying to just ah, don't don't you don't need to worry about following your traditions and whatnot. Just kind of chill here and, and dwindle out. It's probably easier to relax 
here than it is to continue on. Yeah, there's no reason to go do this strenuous hike up a mountain when you can just like relax and hang out and have parties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's probably the way that the, the empire is dealing with the indigenous folks. There's probably a very common way that those in power deal with folks in general. Like, well, you don't need to, to keep on struggling, you know, just... Just take it what it is we're selling. Just take what it is we're selling and enjoy it. Distract yourself. Watch our watch our show on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely do have like a dynamic between like occupied indigenous population versus like a colonial imperial force. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely and and, and even when the uh, the the criminals the, the rebels the group that we've been following are well, i think we referred to them before as a, a oh, what was the term we had used before to refer to them a oh like the rebel gorilla cell yeah the gorilla cell there that we have so the they are they even join in as a a escort unit kind of following behind them uh, trying oh to... yeah to blend in yeah with the yes. uniforms and the way they walk yeah so <laughs> And then there may, I thought it was interesting. He likes giving orders. It makes sense, right? And then they explain that. Uh, well, what do you mean it makes sense? Well, they didn't tell you he was he was a stormtrooper. Uh, I'll tell you, as someone who was one of those stormtroopers, I was in the United States Marine Corps. Yeah. I don't like giving orders or taking. <laughs> oh, but do you have it like drilled into you and stuff, where like you could switch on that mode, like on command? Because that's what know. that one guy did. Yeah, yeah, possibly. I don't know. I haven't tried to switch to that mode in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and go marching around your house. <laughs> oh yeah, and they were given. They were doing a minor drill, kind of, kind of shouting out their little orders and 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 jumping into step there like a good stormtrooper. Yeah. You know, one thing I liked in this episode too, uh, episode six. Yeah, that how they showed the wife and child of one of the imperial commanders. Yeah. With, yeah, I don't think that's ever been done with Star Wars before. Well, it's interesting because that's Jay Holds and his he's the commander of the outpost, and they were really wanting a, a different duty station. So he he need, was like trying to get his family to be out there and present in front of this Colonel Pedigar, which was supposed to be coming, because this is the guy that has the power to station us somewhere else, and we really don't want to be here stationed here. <laughs> it seems that the family does not like being. There's got to be a better place, a better place to be stationed. Um. <laughs> That's definitely an experience when you're in the military, getting yeah. a crap duty station that you don't want to be at. Yeah. With like, yeah, with the family there and they just feel like they're stuck there because yeah. the father has was stationed there. Well, I thought was it. What I find suspicious, which I don't think they, I don't think that movies usually address this kind of thing was the hair when they're in uniform. Um, our, our gorilla cell just kind of has shabby hair. I, I looked oh, at yeah. some of the some of the other folks' haircuts. I know if if you walked onto a military base like the Marines and the Army with hair that long and shabby, they would be people would instantly realize and know that you do not belong there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be a dead giveaway. Yeah, I think that the main character Cassian Andor kind of has like a signature look with his hair. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, you can't cover that up, man. <laughs> so they had to keep the hair there. Yeah. Now uh, there was an interaction between Jay Holden and Val, and he said something like, "Oh, you'd kill it. You're going to kill us anyway. So do what you do what you're told. We get out of here. You'll you'll be fine. You'll live." He said, "Oh, you're just going to kill us anyways." And her response was, "Why? Because because that's what you do, right?" Saying that the Empire just kind of is going to indiscriminately kill you no matter no matter what, with no consideration. Yeah. 
I think she's trying to draw that line there that there is a difference between them. Yeah. Yeah. And so like towards the end now of that episode, right? Like, uh, I mean, so they, they secede. I think they lost like about half of their people, you know, in this raid. So it's definitely not like, you know, other episodes or other Star Wars, you know, things where like the rebels can pull off their heist or whatever they're trying to do with like barely any inconvenience at all. <laughs> but in this one, it's like, yeah, people, their lives are lost. People that you get connected with and like the, that kid, Nemec, you know, the yes. idealist. Yeah, he died. Yeah. And it wasn't even like in a shootout. It was like, you know, the, the money wasn't strapped down correctly. And so it went flying and it hit him and he got crushed, crushed him. to death. Yeah. yeah. We got we get the four-armed doctor, the doctor with four arms trying to help oh. him, which fails. And then we have an interesting, interesting interaction there towards the end where uh Andor kill was it Skeen? Was is his name Skeen? I, I don't know if I have it on this week's. Oh, notes. I think I'm yeah, the double crossing guy. Yeah. <laughs> so so after all this time, he uh he decides to um he decides to uh he says, look, let's just take off with the money. We got the money, we'll split it down the middle. Andor decides to quickly kill him. <laughs> and uh and he he takes what was his cut and turns the rest over to um Vel, who was the who was she was the initial one that he had met, the, essentially the leader of the the gorilla cell. Oh, and that guy Skeen, he said something. Uh, I wrote down here. I'm a rebel. It's just me against everyone else. Yeah. And so that reminded me of like the egoist anarchists of like mm -hmm. Max Turner kind. Yeah. Where yeah, there is a, all about me. The individual idea, individualist ideology. I think at some point in time, like we talked about like the, uh, the anarcho capitalism and things like that, where it's all about me and myself against the world. I find freedom alone by myself. And I got this big chunk of money. That's freedom for me. I mean, well, yeah, that's freedom for everyone. Yeah, yeah, here go to industrialist too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I get the feeling that that Skeen, uh, he really liked that kid Nemec and he kind of, Nemec kind of symbolized the last bit of like believing in something positive. And yes. when Nemec died, he's just like, well, fuck it. I'm out of here. I'll get the money and leave. Yeah. Nemec was, he was, he was definitely my favorite in this because of his idea, idealism and ideology. I, I, although the ideology, like when he gives a speech at the beginning of this empire, or this, this episode about the empire, talking about how he couldn't sleep um in the moral boundaries he starts saying stuff like he just starts throwing out things like freedom independence justice and, and looking at that like i said that it mirrors i think i've said this before the language mirrors what you hear on like right-wing talk radio just kind of a, a random term that can be used vaguely overall to mean it, so people could infer any kind of meaning and place it on that and as a form of pop culture media that's helpful for them to use that kind of language because you're not really making any offense to anybody by using that as revolutionary language instead of like being directly critical of those in power and, and challenging them it's, it's talking about these things in an abstract again in the individual mode as they would apply to yourself my freedom my independence justice for yourself a lot of the times is kind of how that would be framed or seen as and but like i said it is 
very abstract ideals you can infer anything from it that you want <laughs> well he did like write like a manifesto book mm -hmm. that he that i think vel ended up passing on to cassian andor at the very end yes i would like to i, I see I, I want to see this great great radical anarchist or left-wing manifesto out of it <laughs> Oh yeah, Challenge. maybe like Disney could pay like you know some kind of radical author to like <laughs> write won't. the actual book and they'll publish it and make lots of money for Disney. They won't. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> they won't. They won't go there. It might challenge their uh, the the uh, the end of the 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 uh, that special point of power that they have in society. <laughs> so I don't. Think oh, you know, it reminds me actually of a real life book I have here uh, called. Uh, Manual for Revolutionary Leaders that Little Black Cart published. And it's just basically a bunch of quotes from all kinds of famous revolutionary leaders kind of jarbled together. And it was, I think Freddie Perlman wrote it like back in the 70s as like a joke because they even include people like fascists, like Adolf Hitler and stuff, but they don't like give the authors and they just kind of put all the quotes together. And it was kind of a joke for like Marxist Leninists that they would pick up this kind of just like buzzwords and catchphrases and stuff all put together as a book and eat it up, you know, and they did without knowing that, you know, they included people like Hitler and Stalin and whatever. And so it kind of like that kind of thing could be done, you know, by Disney to like, oh, yeah. have the uh, Nemex manifesto. That's, I mean, that's <laughs> essentially where they're going with this, this, the, the revolutionary discourse in it mm -hmm. at this point, it is kind of, kind of that. And, and, and it looks like that might even be on the anarchist library. If you want to check that out, who, who put that together? Did you say, Oh, Little Black Heart, the Manual for Revolutionary Leaders. So yeah, this is Manual for Revolutionary Leaders by Michael by Velli. Is that Michael right? Velli? Yeah, yeah. yeah see, Michael like Velli. Machiavelli. <laughs> <laughs> Machiavelli. Michael Velli. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, and it's and it's and it's uh, date was seventy two, and mm. and it was uh, its topics are under anti politics, criticism, and critique and satire. <laughs> So that is that is a good way to go. I need, I'm gonna have to check that out here on the Anarchist Library a little bit later. <laughs> We're not doing this. So there's so, a few things I want to talk about. So let's just go over to the next episode. Oh the, no, the very last thing in the very oh. last part of that episode six was like I love that scene when like uh, it showed Luthen at his store in uh, Coruscant. Yeah, that's the name of the planet. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so like he's uh, you know doing his thing and stuff, and then like a some guy, a customer in his store said. Oh, do you have anything by that planet? They mentioned the planet where the, oh, the heist happened. Yeah, yeah. And then like Luthen kind of, you can see him freeze and had like this, oh shit kind of moment. You know, he thought <laughs> this guy was going to arrest him. And then it turned out that customer is just like talking about the news of the heist yeah. that he's reading about. And he's kind of making a joke. It's like, oh, big heist. Maybe you got something, you know? And so like, and you can see like, you know, Luthen go in the back to like compose himself and stuff. And then like realizing that it was just a joke. He's like, just relief and stuff. That was so well done. Yeah. It was good. now Luthen and Mon Mothma are kind of on edge for the next episode and oh, yeah. and and the announcement and you have the empires doing its big response. One of there's a few things that stood out to me in that episode overall. I, I'm going to start. The first one is the interaction between Mon Mothma. She had some sort of friend who I'm assuming was he like a banker of sorts or something. Oh, did they meet at that party, right? That yes. guy. Oh, yeah. That was like an old childhood friend of hers that she hasn't seen in a long time. 
And and he seemed to be like, no, I'm a little bit further to the radical. You might not like. And she's kind of like, well, you know, that, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Yeah. They did this thing in that conversation. And then later on with Mon Mothma and Luthen, where like they know they're being watched. So they have to speak like two ways at the same time, you know, like yes. the public appearance way and then what they're really trying to communicate. And and she she seems to be looking to funnel funds to the rebel cell. Um, I, I was thinking about that within the context of U.S. politics, funneling funds to a radical leftist uh, terrorist organization is not a common thing that I'm seeing. <laughs> the, the closest thing I can point that to, like parallel wise, would be more on the right would be stuff like Iran Contra con from back in the 80s with the Contras and the Sandinistas when Reagan came to power, where they were funneled with Oliver North, where he was funneling funds and, well, funneling weapons and stuff, trying to get them to the Contras. I mean, that's essentially the same thing politically that they're trying to do there. Now, as for, there's not a lot of rich people that try to funnel funds and support to the left-wing causes, because the left-wing causes tend to want to, don't want to take out the rich people. <laughs> but there's all those conspiracy theories of George Soros that's sending money. Oh to the left. yes, <laughs> yes, yes. There is that in the in terribly anti-Semitic conspiracy theory yeah. trope thing that that floats around on on the alt right that says, "Oh, well, George Soros." But George Soros is not as much funneling funds. Um, he's more he that in this conspiracy theory, it's the idea that he's super rich and he funds the left. And there's this kind of like, oh, the rich billionaires are funding the left secretly. It's a clandestine. It's more on the lines of a clandestine type, like conspiracy theory type thing that happens where, where, where instead of being able to critique the capitalist in power, the capitalist in power suddenly becomes a a secret capitalist in power who's really funding the people who are trying to fight against him or something like that. Yeah, and so. I think Trump had that phrase, the professional anarchist. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They were talking about Antifa. It's like, you know, a professional organization where people have paychecks and, and employee rosters and all that. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll take some anti-fascist paychecks, please. Yeah. <laughs> Put them in my bank account. Pay the mortgage. <laughs> but now I think, uh, again, that conversation with Mon Mothma and her friend, uh, whatever his name is, uh, I would love to get his name because I think the same actor was in the TV show Severance on uh Apple TV Plus too. Oh, I'm not. But, I'm not familiar with. I'm not familiar with that severance. Oh. I'm not seeing that uh, Apple. I've not. I. I'll be honest. I have actively and very uh, intentionally avoided any Apple products for a long time. <laughs> so oh, I've wow. not yeah. seen anything on Apple TV. Yeah. Uh, oh, because oh, they have some good stuff. Like Foundation is a great show. They have. Yeah, there. And, I want to see yeah. that. I want to see Foundation very badly. I, I would like to see that. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, I'd say like Andor series is kind of seems more reminiscent of the Foundation series on Apple TV Plus more so than the other Star Wars series on Disney Plus. And Andor, I really appreciate. I really appreciate it. It seems to be fleshing out certain, in a way, certain nuances of the empire that we haven't really gotten to see kind of portrayed yet how they kind of function and work we're seeing more oh, of the yeah. inner workings of these like little little out the little outpost and base and then you have the larger uh you have the group i don't know what to call them the larger command uh, center that we keep on going over to where she's been noticing these 
different rebel occurrences and whatnot. And there's a power struggle occurring there between her and the other fellow as she's yeah. she's kind of is she given his uh his uh his outpost essentially is that what ends up happening in the conflict by yeah the... i feel like you know inter-office politics and maneuvering <laughs> yes yeah which is interesting the same thing happened in the obi-wan series too but they resolved that by like you know killing each other <laughs> whereas <laughs> this is a bit more realistic for our world <laughs> yeah there's a lot more how things work like politically either even in yeah. like like uh, nonprofits and things like that and, and more state level positions and jobs and stuff like that, that kind of ins and outs of, uh, of trying to get one over on the other person, plotting on people and the kind of thing that kind of, that's the kind of thing that works in a system of competition that's built up like other ours in order to get ahead. You're kind of, you know, competing to put the other person down. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah, so, and that was the Imperial Security Bureau that they keep showing and stuff, which is kind of like the FBI or CIA in our oh, world. Oh, okay. So I didn't catch that. So the Imperial Security Bureau. So it's, it's, it is the, it's the, it's the, it's the feds, it's the CIA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, I think they're giving a, a lot of power by the emperor in response to like the, the raid in Aldani. The Empire goes scorched earth on everybody in this episode. Oh, yeah. Huge overreaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a tribute tax five times higher than what was stolen will be taken from any sector harboring any rebels. Now, Andor, let's talk. One thing I want to talk about before we finish is Andor and Marva, because he, he goes to her and she's. Oh, Marva's kind of, his adopted mother. Yeah. Yes. And he, she's kind of. Uh, she doesn't want to leave, but she's saying that the the heist, the stealing of the money that he did is what has inspired her to stand her ground and fight for the rebellion, not leave, not hide, not run away. But she wants oh, to yeah. she wants she wants to she wants to stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah, Andor has the money and he's like, OK, I got money. This place is horrible. Let's leave. And and she's like staying and she's ready to become a rebel. Before I go to the very end of that episode, is there anything else we need oh. to touch on from those from the previous episode that we haven't? Because we're coming close on time. Oh, let's see. So, uh, yeah, Val is sent to kill Cassian uh, and she's like kind of reluctant to do it. Uh, but like one of the rebel people, like secretive rebel said, you know, because Cassian can identify Luthen, you know, he's a threat. So we need to have him killed. And and then she says, this is what revolution looks like. <laughs> the whole idea, <laughs> which reminds me, what was it? That one kind of associate of Mikhail Bakunin, you know, famous mm -hmm. anarchist, uh, Sergei Neshev, he was like, had the very similar attitude. He had the, a little piece that he wrote. When is it? I forget. It's some... Oh, I can't remember it, but it was like one piece, something, Catechism of a Revolutionist. Yeah, that was the name of it. Yeah. And so like that was like all about this kind of attitude that revolutions require violence and dedication and ruthlessness and you need to be all in and there's like no compassion. It's just like just about getting stuff done. And so like that's definitely that person's attitude to revolution compared to like Mon Mothma, who's very much about trying to have things look as legitimate and as much consensus as possible. <laughs> yeah. And, and and at the same time, she is she is pulling a, a an Iran contract. <laughs> oh. oh yeah. Oh definitely. I mean she would be like tortured to death and killed by the the empire if she was found out. Oh yeah, yeah. Now the end of the episode, I, I find it as somebody who like 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 when you're arrested, it's horrible. <laughs> Oh, you're talking about the end. Oh my god, dude, the end was I love the end so much with it. They 
because Cassian, he like takes his money and goes to like space Miami, basically, you know, <laughs> but like, and, and it's like the music and the way they showed it, I just was like in love with this planet, you know, I don't like <laughs> Miami as much, but I like this planet. <laughs> Because they have like they introduced like electronic music for the first time in the yes. Star Wars franchise. It, yeah. The music was neat. It, it was very good. It kind of fit in too, even though it was something unique and different. It kind of fits into what they've been doing because the music's been really good throughout the whole season. Yeah. And then he he's kind of walking to I don't know what's he doing. He's trying to walk up to 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 the refreshment stands or something. To get oh there. yeah, so it's amazing because like Cassian, so far we've seen him. He's like a criminal. He's a fugitive. You know, he supports like this rebel group and all that stuff. He's killed all these people, but like it's only when he's like trying to chill out on a resort on a beach. You know, it's like oh, that's too much. He's arrested. He's out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how that's the way they get you, though. That's how it happens. <laughs> yeah, and so like the situation at the end. It, like I've seen these kind of things play out in real life too. When you have like, you know, people in the general area are like kind of on edge and anxious and nervous and stuff. And you see some people are running in the background, but you don't know why and who these people are. And it's just, everyone's on edge. And so like Cassian's walking around and that's when the stormtrooper like, you know, sees Cassian and he just is at the wrong place at the wrong time mm -hmm. and gets caught up and arrested. Well, it's not too and, unlike the J20 and what happened there. Oh, uh, oh, or even like, or Hong Kong. Like I have a friend yeah. of mine that's from mainland China and she was living in Hong Kong and the same thing happened to her. She was in the wrong time at the wrong place. And the Chinese government says, well, she must be like uh, a terrorist and agitator and stuff. So therefore, but not terrorist, but, you know, political agitator. Right? <laughs> and therefore not allowed back into mainland China, you know, even though, so she's from there. So she can't see her family there anymore. Yeah, so it's it, that kind of heavy handed authoritarianism. Yeah. yeah. And and the one thing was that with uh with what you call it uh like with J twenty is that when mm -hmm. they were there they they kettled everybody in yeah. everyone that had come to the protest and just mass arrest and mass charge them uh and that's January twentieth two twenty sixteen was kind of unprecedented in U S history the kind of tactic they were using against protest under Trump there and a lot of people were stuck fighting a lot of for a, quite a while a lot of serious charges that they were getting thrown at them just for being present at the protest and and uh yeah that's similar i feel because you have a few people who who has done something i don't know if it was a political protest i'm assuming it was political in response because there seems to be a little bit of a rebellion rising up and so everybody's being snatched up yeah. and they tell him yeah. to hang around <laughs> and so the robot uh the droid hangs him from the, from his neck against the yeah. wall. <laughs> yeah, the same type of droid that you saw in the movie Rogue One. But the one in Rogue One was like kind of reprogrammed for the rebellion. And this and one's totally for the Empire. Yeah, and I'm assuming that we're going to see at some point in time. I'm hoping that we get that. What was the? I can't even remember the top Oh, in Rogue One, K2SO. K2SO. I'm hoping that we get K2SO in this at some point in time, either this season or hopefully a second, because I'd love to see a second season. This is going this is going great so far. Oh, for Andor, yeah. I think they have two seasons planned. I think originally they had five seasons planned, and then they cut it down to two. Oh, I'm sad. I'd like five. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it seems that we've started down another road. This is the beginning of this. He's been he's been placed in prison. So I guess this is going to be further radicalization. There's a lot of folks who radicalize in prison. Uh, Lorenzo Comba Irvin has spoken about how the anarchists that would write. A lot of anarchists organize within the prisons, like the uh, IWAC, um, 
the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, and a lot of other organizations and groups that write to prisoners. And there's a lot of uh, political prisoners in there that they work with to organize as well. So prisons are places of radicalization within the United States. Sometimes that's horrible. In places like Terre Haute, you have a radical right-wing neo-fascists using things like uh, Odinism and weird pagan beliefs and Christian nationalism to recruit uh, radical Aryan terrorist groups. <laughs> and then you also have the left in prisons working to try to organize those prisons largely within the context of prison abolition and uh, criminal justice reform and things like that. And the support that people have given some prisoners over the years has led to a lot of people, like I, like I mentioned before, Lorenzo Comba Irvin was one anarchist who I greatly influenced by. He he put out some books. Uh, I, I had a few of them, and he put them out in like in zine format years ago. He oh, used to like Anarchism in the Black Revolution. Yeah. yeah, and he's got some great... He was a Black Panther at one point in time. There's a whole story to it. Look it up on the internet. We might be able to talk about it later, but he's a brilliant man. <laughs> brilliant you know man. You got me thinking producer. what might happen is like they might show Andor in prison, and he has that book that he got Yes, uh, you know, and then he'll read it, and then he'll become radicalized. Yeah. So he does. Hopefully, yeah. he's able to get the book in there somehow. Yeah. I don't know if they have a thumb drive or they can take his his iPad away, his, his Star Wars iPad away yeah. or not. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm thinking we're going into prison for the next episode, and like I said, radicalization occurs within prisons because you're seeing the, the the full heavy hand of the law. Do we have anything else we want to address in this this episode today? Oh, it just basically like uh, Andor is like sentenced to prison because of loitering. It's basically a loitering charge, which originally I think was supposed to be six months. <clears throat> but then like because the emperor, he issued the public order resentencing directive uh, after the Aldani incident. And so as a result, it's like tenfold more or it's kind of like so it's now six years that he sentenced as a result. And at one point, like they, they said, you know, uh, like, don't you resist it? Because if you resist this uh, judgment we give you, then you get a resisting judgment charge, which would have more time than for you. <laughs> <laughs> and the person that was like, they totally had like a factory assembly line thing too, where they're like, you know, reading up people's charges. And then like, they have the judge that like sentences them and then they take them away. And then the next person, and that person's like eating, like, I think peanuts or something. <laughs> or cashews, yeah. <laughs> and so like not even bothering, not even caring that much about the job. <laughs> yeah, it's just just crank them through, throw them away, lock them up, throw away the oh. key. Oh, and we <clears throat> again, we didn't even mention like Cyril from uh, how he's like there on Coruscant, and he has a job that totally reminds me from of the movie Brazil. Mm. This kind of stifling, soulless office job for a bureaucracy for the. I think it's and here it's like the Department of Standards or something. Yes, it's like <laughs> make sure that all the measurement units and stuff are the same across the galaxy. I wonder what's going to happen with Cyril. He's still in, so I'm sure that we're going to come back to him and watch. And I, I think that's good. You pointed out Brazil because that's what it reminded me of too. It was the yeah. first thing that popped in my mind. <laughs> this horrible bureaucratic job in the movie Brazil by Terry Gilliam is a perfect and <laughs> way to put it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's about all we have time for today. If you've enjoyed this, um, give us a positive review wherever you're listening. Where can they find you online, parentheses I? Well, yeah, I'm at parenthesis I on Twitter and also parenthesis I dot blogspot dot com. And that's E-Y-E, -E. <laughs> parenthesis e -Y -E. I. Yeah. 
and and I'm uh, at Logar Hill Crom on Twitter. Uh, you can catch my daily podcast just about anywhere you can catch podcasts. That's Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. And uh, and 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 wait a minute, what's our sign off again? Yeah, I guess it's from Vel. Remember, everyone has their own personal rebellion.